Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. I'm going to go ahead and start um, uh, just to talk about a couple things. Uh, One thing I wanted to talk about is the time of the year that it is. Uh, Right after Thanksgiving, you have the, the Advent season. If you are, if you go to church, you've heard about Advent. Uh, if you don't, uh, you can probably ignore this part. But Advent—that word comes right from Latin. Ad. In fact, we're going to learn this word today. Ad meaning to, and the vent part meaning come. And so, Advent is the time that you're preparing for Jesus's coming, and that's why it's called Advent. And so, it's right all right. Definitely right from Latin, Advent. Another thing I wanted to mention was if you listen to Playtime uh, on Friday nights, you, you have a lot of, uh, you, you almost always have some kind of Latin question or mythology question. And we had one last Friday, and I totally misunderstood the question. Um, does anybody remember that? Was anybody listening to Playtime last week and heard that question? No, I was listening because I was hosting. So. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, then you but definitely were. I don't remember the question. In fact, there were a couple Latin questions, but this is the one I remember anyway. I thought she said uh, this mythological creature has a hundred uh, somethings or hundred somethings in its name. And so everybody was saying centaur because, of course, the Latin word for 100 is cent, centi. And I thought, no, it's not a centaur. A centaur is half bull and half horse. So what is it? Well, the only thing I could think of was these hundred hand. There's these creatures that when the world was first created in mythology, uh, they had 100 hands and 50 heads. Can you imagine a creature like that? 100 hands and at least they'd have two hands to scratch every head. But anyway, um, they're called the hecatone Kyries. And that's the only thing I could think of. The Greek word for hundred is hecatone. Um, well, but it turned out that that wasn't what the question was. The question was, because I, I was, I was checking with Cindy on this question. The question was actually what mythological creature has one horn and the Latin word it's from the Latin. And the answer is, does anyone remember? Unicorn. Unicorn. Okay, because uni means one and corn means horn. Okay, and so a unicorn is a creature with one horn. Now, also that word corn, uh, where we get the, the unicorn from, is also right around this time of the year because... How do you say, uh, how do you say, what's another phrase, what's another word to describe the horn of plenty that you see around Thanksgiving time? Do you know? Anyone know? Cornucopia. Cornucopia. And that means horn of plenty. That's actually exactly what it means. So the Latin word for horn is actually cornu. And a copia means like abundance, horn of abundance. And so, yeah. So it's interesting how... uh, you know, Latin keeps popping up in these playtime uh, questions. And that's why I'm teaching you guys mythology. So you can tear them up on there with uh, with the mythology. So uh, this week uh, in your notes, I'm going to send you some Christmas carols. 
or Christmas songs. Some of them are carols, some of them are songs. And the next couple of weeks, we can have some fun trying to sing them. So I'll be sending those out. You'll be getting those in your notes if you get my notes, if, you, you know, if I'm sending you notes. If I'm not sending you notes and you want notes, don't forget all you have to do is write to Cindy and ask her to tell me your email address and I will get you the notes if you want them. So uh, that's something we can do. Okay, let's get started. Um, uh, we pretty much have wrapped up our Latin phrases. Uh, you might see one every now and then that comes up that we'll think of. We're going to have a couple of them today. But um, I thought instead of doing Latin phrases, we'd look at some prefixes. And then we'll look at some suffixes later on. And we're going to look at Latin prefixes and Greek prefixes because they all come into English and you never know when you're going to see one or the other. Uh, and some of these you probably had in 11th grade. I think we had them in 11th grade and I could ace them because I'd already had them in Latin. But just in case you haven't, I thought we'd look at these uh, prefixes. And the first one is, and these will be in your notes this week, is ab, A-B. It can be written A-B, it can be written A-B-S, or it can be written A. It can be written all of those ways. And it means from. Now, can anyone think of an English word that would have this prefix in it? Abstinence. Uh, okay, what'd you say? Uh, somebody said. I said abstinence when you don't you're, drink. <laughs> you're exactly right. Abstinence, <laughs> meaning you hold yourself from it. Oh, you keep yourself okay. from it. That's actually what it means. Yes, good. This is good. Chanel. Yes, Chanel. I, I was thinking abscess for some reason, but there's Ab also. You said abstract? Did you no, say? No, I said, I said abscess, but that doesn't make any sense. How do you spell it? Uh, A B S E S S. Oh, abscess. Abscess. Okay. Wait, are you thinking of the word that has a C in it? A B S C E. Oh, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know this for sure, but I believe that comes from Greek. But that's not okay. a bad guess, though. I mean, it's hard to say. And I'll, I'll try to find that out this week. But I don't think that comes from this. But uh, I think that comes more likely from a Greek word like obsessum or something like oh, that. Where does I'll, absolute come from? From this. Absolute means loosened from. Believe it or not. Uh, what about if something uh, we talked about abstain, if you abstain or uh, you hold yourself back? What about uh, abnormal? If you know somebody that's abnormal, they are away from being normal, right? No. What if you uh, what if you abhor something? That means you shrink from it. Abhor it, oh, to shrink from. You abhor it. You shrink from it. And one last word that I could think of was avocation. What is your what is your avocation? Um. Well, what's your vote? Is that a hobby away from the calling? Yeah, no. yeah. Your calling is your job. Your vocation right. is your right. job. But your avocation is what you do that aside from your job that you're called to do. You're called away from your job to do maybe because you like it. Something a hobby? Like, that. Uh, like yeah. a hobby? Yeah, like a hobby. Uh, okay. Or even like something you really feel excited about doing. You know, it's not your job, but it's but something oh, you like okay. to do, want okay. to do for some reason. Okay. Okay. This is Musi, and I, how about abduct? 
abduct, you know, abduct yes. and abduct yes. lead, um, like in anatomy, when you move something away from the body or to the body. or Right. Or when someone abducts you from your home, God Uh-oh. forbid, they, they lead, the duct part means lead and the ob part means from, so they lead you away from your okay. home. Yeah, uh-huh. so good, good, good example. Good example. Would work with abdominal, where you the body is your house or your domicile? <laughs> yes, I think probably you're right. I do think you're right about that. I don't know that for sure. That might be actually abdomen. I have a feeling is a Greek word, but your guess is pretty darn good, and it's good enough that it makes me think it's worth looking into. Uh, I actually think abd- abdomen is a Greek word. If I'm not mistaken, but Gary, um, uh, Alexa says that abscess comes from Latin. Does it say what that words? That, and that I can't find, and that that S is often spelled S C. Uh huh. Did it tell you what the two parts are? The ab would be from. I what would the cess be? I couldn't. I couldn't get. I'll that. find out. Well, you know, we're getting this new Braille sense, and it has a. A, a very good dictionary with Latin derivatives and things in it. So um, I think I can would do that, even better. Would that, that be the same root as, it, as in cesspool? Well, I was and, thinking that too. I was thinking that too. See, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I was thinking that too, maybe. So let me try to find that out this week and we'll try to get back to you next week on it. Gary, and, what about abstract? Yes. What is an abstract? It's something taken from an article, maybe like it's like a summary of an article drawn from the stract part. Tract part means drawn. There's an example of where the preposition is abs, abs, and then the tract is the draw, is the drawing from. It's easier to say abstract. That's why that s goes in there than to say abtract or you know something like that. So that's why these prepositions have several endings or these prefixes have several endings because it makes it easier to hook them on to the main word. And so sometimes you might see a B, sometimes you might see a, sometimes you might see a B S and that's called, that's called assimilation when the prefix makes itself similar to the root that it goes with. Um, She also said that abdomen came from Latin, but didn't elaborate. Uh, I'm trying to think where I saw the word abdomen recently, and I was thinking it was in Greek. Okay, she did. We'll find out. We'll check on that this week because that would be that's good stuff to know. And I'm sorry I don't know it, but I'll check on it. All right. What about the next prefixes? And these will all be in your notes again. AD. AD is actually the opposite of the one we just had. It means toward or to. And, um, some words I thought of were, and by the way, that usually it is written A-D, but it can also be written, uh, I have one word here where the A-D changes to A-N, and uh, that's the word announce, meaning to speak to someone. Uh, but we also get advocate. If you're an advocate, you call someone to you to work for you, perhaps like a lawyer or somebody. And adhere, if something adheres, it sticks to. By the way, if you know that, you can learn in science what I used to have trouble with before I took Latin. What's the difference between cohesion and adhesion? Cohesion is when like substances stick together. 
co together where adhesion is like unlike substance sticks to another substance stick to so anyone think of other words for uh with this word odd or add did you say ad hoc advice well odd hoc yes that's where you have two words add two and hope this or two or four this a committee that is yes it's exactly that same word but the thing is these words here that i'm giving you these prefixes when they're prefixes they're joined right to a word you know like that here when they're prepositions they are separate words and in the case of odd hope you have a preposition plus a word this uh would anticipate be something like that or so probably you say would, anticipate yeah i was thinking no uh, actually anticipate comes from my next one so keep oh. that in mind and when we get to it you'll see um that's a good guess though that's a good guess what else how about adjacent adjacent means lying near the adjacent part means lying and the odd means near uh there are a lot of them that i don't even know if i know all of them anyone else have one advice advice yes to um you know see uh, to um consult toward someone or something like that i'm not sure what the vice part um is in that vision uh, as in a synonym for knowledge yeah i wondered about that yeah i, I wondered about that so give knowledge to someone right mm-hmm what else? Well, let's do the next one. Auntie. A-N-T-E. Meaning, anyone want to guess? Before. Auntie. And so you have antecedent. An antecedent is the word that a pronoun refers to, and it usually comes before the pronoun. For example, this is my friend. She is blah, 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 whatever. She, the word friend is the antecedent of she. So uh, there's a Latin phrase, antebellum. We didn't talk about that phrase before. What does antebellum mean? Do you know? Before the war. Before the war, yeah. And what war do they mean when they say that? The Civil War. The Civil War, yeah. So if you hear about an antebellum house, it means a Civil War house. Okay, also anteroom. An anteroom is like a waiting room, the room before you get in uh, to it. Now, one that I thought came from it, but then when I saw the spelling, I was a little unsure, is the word antipasta. You know, antipasta is what you eat in a restaurant before you eat a pasta, before you eat the, the pasta. So it's like the salad or whatever, but it's spelled A-N-T-I. So I wondered why that spelling had changed like that. And I don't know the answer for it to it. So, any questions? Bennett, um, B- oh yes. What does the bellum mean in antebellum? Is war. that war? Oh, okay, it means war. Now As there are bellus? two. There are two okay. words in Latin that look alike. One is bellus, bella, bellum. It can the, the neuter form of bellum. It means beautiful, and the other word is bellum, belli, meaning war, which of course is not at all beautiful. So it is interesting how those two words are are kind of. A little bit of likes, but but the bellum is a word for war. Um, okay. it, and the English word you might get from it is belligerent, 
someone who's belligerent is all ready to wage war and bellicose bellicose mm-hmm. meaning warlike uh, those are two words that come from that what else okay bene b-e-n-e meaning well uh, we don't have too many from this, but a few benefactor. A benefactor is a doer of well. I mean, a person who does well, who, who does good things for people. Uh, by the way, the opposite of bene is male, meaning bad. So like a malefactor is a person that does bad, does bad things. Benefactor is a person that does good things. Um, benevolent. If you are a benevolent person, you want good. You want well, if you want to say it that way. Whereas if you're malevolent, you want bad from them. And then benefit. If you do something that benefits people, if you do good. You want something that does, does good for them, does well for them, whatever you want to say. Uh, I don't think there's any other. I can't think benediction. of benediction. Benediction. Okay, this benediction. Is before, what is a benediction? You know, what is a benediction? It's like a blessing, you know, you yep. give, you know, that, you know, that at the end of a church service and, you know, it comes from, you know, a good saying, really. That's exactly right. Exactly right. right. And by the way, a malediction is a curse. So a benediction mm-hmm. is, is a good saying. A malediction is a curse. So very good. Yeah. Good word. Yeah. Good word. Uh, I was just trying to think if I could think of any other. Uh, I'm sure there might be, but I can't think of them right now. B, B-I, or B-I-S, can be written either way. It means twice or two. So bicycle, a bicycle is two wheels. Bisect, something that bisects, something cuts it in half. Um, And here are two words that are confusing. Biannual and and biennial. Do you know what the difference between those two words are? Biannual and biennial. Biennial means twice a year. Twice a year. Biannual means every two years. So that's kind of a confusing, uh, confusing one, I think. Can you spell those two words, biennial and biannual? Because I always Bi- get those two mixed up. Biannual is B-I-A-N-N-U-A-L. And that word annual comes from the Latin word annus, meaning year. So B-I-A-N-N-U-A-L. That means every two years. Now, biennial is B-I-E-N-N-I-A-L. It still comes from annus, meaning year, but it's spelled a little different. And it means that means twice a year. Just like something that's perennial happens every year. Like, like plants that some kinds of plants. Uh, mm-hmm. The last one. No, we got two more. Uh, kirkum, circum, if you want to say it in English. Kirkum meaning around. We get things like circumference. The circumference is the distance around something. Uh, circumnavigate, to sail around. And circumstances are things that surround a situation. You know the word sto in Latin and so things that surround things are called circumstances. Uh, circumscribe? What's the circumscribe? To write around. So if something is circumscribed, it has writing all going around it. Yes. Circumvent. Unless circumvent to come around, to, to get around someone. You're going to circumvent something. You're going to come around it, get around it. Circumnavigate. 
circumnavigate, to sail around. By the way, did you ever hear that joke about Magellan? Some student, I have this book called Anguished English, and they show you these students' compositions. And one of them wrote, Magellan circumcised the world with a hundred-foot clipper. So, by the way, circumcise is from this. It means to cut around. Uh, And I don't know. Um, Of course, circle comes in directly, I guess, from this. Uh, Circumlocution. Circumlocution. A good one. What's circumlocution? To talk around. It means you're not saying what you really mean. You're sort of talking around it. You're saying all kind of other things. Uh, Yeah. Any other you can think of? Okay. uh, I guess the last one for today is con. C-O-N. And it means with or together. As a preposition, this is written cum, C-U-M. But as a prefix, it's usually written C-O-N or C-O or even C-O-L, depending on what the next, uh, depending on what the main word is. It means with or together. And so you get things like convoke. If you convoke a meeting, you call it together. Collect. uh, That means to bring together. Uh, Commotion. To like move thoroughly, to move completely, correct, to straighten up together, and convene to come together, like in the case of a meeting, in the case of a meeting. Any, um, what is it? Confuse? Yes. Confusion. That would mean like, that would mean actually, really, that's a very interesting one. That, That one actually means to pour together. Uh, mm. So if you think of pouring a whole bunch of liquid together and look what you would get, uh, it's, you know, kind of interesting. What did you say about collect? What did you say about collect? Collect is like to uh, to force together, something like that. What about colleague? Is that someone you read with? <laughs> yeah, yes, I think so. I think so. I believe it would co again, co for, together and Lego or Lego to read. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good job. All right. I thought we would spend a little time today looking at this story that I gave you. And I'm sorry I sent these notes out so late. Uh, so if we don't get any further than this today, that's fine. Uh, I did send you the answers to your exercises. Did anybody have any questions on them? Any of them that you have a chance to even look at them? It's a lot of answers. I mean, it's a lot of work. But uh, uh, anyway, you have them and you can look at them as you wish at your leisure. But I'd like to look at this reading that I gave you. And uh, I'd like to go over the vocabulary list that goes with it, just so we'll be able to talk about more words. Agricola. Agricola means farmer. And that's where you get agriculture and uh, so forth. And this is a funny word in Latin. It looks like a feminine word. It ends in A, but it's masculine. Gary. Because, yes. Uh, I'm sorry. Pamela has her hand raised. Yes. Uh, I, it was actually about something else, but I did That's want to right. mention I don't have uh, the email that you were talking about and no way to get it. 
Is okay. there any way to get? Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, do I have I ever sent you notes before? I haven't, have I? No, and I don't have a text or anything like that. No. Okay. Do you? No, you don't have to have. You don't have to have. Um, do you have a computer or an iPhone? No. Okay. In that case, I don't know how to help you. Um, uh, I don't even think, I don't think I can send you anything. Uh, the only thing I, I'm just thinking, uh, do you have um, like a Victor Reader stream? Yes. Uh, maybe what I could, well, how would I do it though? Um, I don't know what to tell you. I'd like to, I'd like to help you I'd Beth. There's a girl named Beth who's here. Who's got the same situation. And, um, if I could get the sound, uh, even if I could just get you a recording of these notes, um, that would be better, but I don't honestly know how to send it unless I were to send it through the mail with a cartridge or something. Uh, I, or a card or something, and I don't, I, I don't think I could do that. If everybody think, uses Braille, print out the Braille. Well, do you read Braille? Yes. You do? Uh, tell I you do. what, ask Cindy, write this, you know, Cindy uh, Hollis, write to Cindy and ask her to give me your address, and I will mail you a Braille copy, because I have a printer. I can do that. <clears throat> I could do Beth. Same thing with you, Beth, if you're on today. I think the Victor Reader stream can get the podcast if it's if it's a newer one. Oh, actually, yes. If you have a Victor Reader stream, you can get the recordings of this. You can get mine's an old one. Yeah, so then you can't. Um, but I can uh I can print you the Braille. You won't get it as quickly as you would the notes probably, but at least you can have it and you can look at it as you wish uh, at your leisure. Uh, and what I may try to do, if my printer works, I'll try to print you um, the notes that we've had up to now. You know, that's a lot of notes, but uh, you know, that's maybe I can do that. So if you get, if Cindy contacts me, uh, I'll see what I can do. I'll certainly send you these notes anyway. Um, that you're Thank you. Mm-hmm. Your name is Pam, did you say? No, Camilla. Oh, Camilla. Oh, you have a nice Latin name. You have a mythology name. We'll get to her pretty soon. We'll get to Camilla. She's in the Trojan War in a roundabout sort of way. Okay. All right. I'll look great... forward... I'm sorry. I'll look forward to that. Thank you. All right. Agricola, as I said, means farmer. Where Where is the story? I'm looking through the notes. And it's uh, the after the exercises. Oh, it's, it's after chapter. the exercises. Yes, it's the in the notes I sent out yesterday. Called oh, okay. Maybe I'm looking at the wrong set. But is it before You're, the mythology and after the exercise, maybe? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm and it's in look. yesterday's. It was sent out yesterday. So that's why you might not have it. Uh, kibbus, kibum means food. And we get the word kibble from it. Uh, kibble means little pieces of food, like a dog would eat. Aeus <laughs> uh, means his or her. E-I-U-S. Philia. Philiam means daughter. And philius, philia, um, meaning son. Uh, by the way, these words are where we get affiliate from, like the affiliate of the American Council of the Blind. It means a daughter or a son. It's like, that's what it really means. 
so when you're an affiliate, that's like that affiliate is the child of the ACB, you might say. Frater fratrem means brother. We get the word fraternity from it. Uwo uare, to help. Um, no derivative right directly from that. Ludus ludum is a funny word. It means school, and it also means game. And the reason is because gladiators were trained in a school, and so the word game got to be used when they referred to a gladiator, you know, to a gladiatorial contest. It's like a school, and so the word school can mean games, or it can mean a school. Neither one. Mater matrem means mother. We get the word maternal from it. Maternity. Uh, and pater patrem means father. We get paternal, paternity. Soror, sororem means sister. We get sorority from it. You can tell we're doing all these family terms here. Meritus, meritum means husband, and we get no derivative from that except maybe maybe married. I don't know if that comes from that or not. It, it's mid-May. Miles militem means soldier. You get the word military from it. Pecunia, pecuniam means money. Uh, pecuniary. If you have pecuniary difficulties, you have money difficulties. Puella, puellam means girl, no derivative. Puer, puerum means boy, and you get the English word pueril. Stop being so pueril, meaning like boy-like, boyish, childish. Satis means enough. Uxor, uxorem means wife. And if someone says to a guy, if I were to say to Greg, Greg, you're being just entirely too uxorious. I would mean he's being henpecked, like he's just too devoted to his wife. Eric, quick uh, question. The satis, is that where we get satisfied? Yes, it is. If you satisfy, you do enough for. Yes. Right. Um, where barrow, where barare, that's V-E-R-B-E-R-O, means to beat. And that's where we get the word reverberate, like echo back. Um, if something echoes back, it like beats back, the sound waves like beat back against something. And so that's where we get that from. All right. I'm, uh, how many of you have even seen this story? Has anyone seen this yet? No. Then what I will do is we won't read this today because it would just be uh, kind of silly, but it is in the notes. And so next week, we will pick up with this story. It's a pretty good story. Well, uh, I don't know if it's good or not. I wrote it, so God knows whether it's good. But it's, it's a little story in Latin. We haven't read a story in Latin yet. And it's about a Roman family. And uh, so you can read it, and if you can read it, and then if you can answer the questions. I mean, let's look at the questions just to read through this with you. I'll show you the kind of thing you're going to have to do. Um, amen. Okay, here we go. Uh, number one says, what is Lucius's profession? Number two says, who is his wife and how many children does the family have? Number three says, who is the eldest daughter? What does she love? How does she spend her time? Who is her future husband? 
Four is who is the youngest daughter. How does she spend her time? What does she do? Uh, what does she do that is brave? Five, what does Publius do? What brave thing did he once do? What does he not praise and why? We'll stop there. There's more questions. It's a long story. So you might not get through it all. You might not get through it all. Get through what you can of it. Just enjoy it. Now, as you read it, the best thing to do when you read a story like this is to read the entire sentence aloud and read it like, even if you're reading it aloud to yourself, read it through, each sentence through, kind of under your breath so that you can hear it. And that way you'll get a feeling for the sentences. But just do what you can with it. Have fun with it. I'm going to send you notes out, which are going to have a lot more in it than this. But if you look at this, that'll be enough for you to do for next week if you want to try to do that. If you want to do that, we'll work on this story. And also, I'm going to send you Christmas carols. Uh, I'm going to send you some Christmas carols so we can have fun with that, too. Anybody know what time it is? Uh -huh. It's 433, I think. Yeah. Okay, I think we'll go ahead and uh, start our mythology today, uh, continue with that. And we were talking last week about the beginning of the Trojan War. Uh, and we had uh, gotten into the thing about the draft dodgers, but let's just go back and review a little bit um, about this. First of all, we, we said that the main cause of this war was on a wedding. Can someone tell me a little bit about that? How would a wedding cause a war? Does anyone remember that? And by the way, this is in Edith Hamilton, chapter uh, part four. Edith Hamilton, part four. If you want to read it uh, yourself. Is it the wedding what? of Helen and Menelaus? Or no, not the wedding of Helen and Menelaus. It's the wedding of uh, it's it's the first mixed marriage on record. It's a marriage between a god, or rather, excuse me, a goddess, a minor goddess, and a mortal. Remember, it's the wedding of Peleus, who is going to turn out to be the father of Achilles, and Thetis, who is going to turn out to be the mother of Achilles. Okay, and these two. Uh, these two uh, are going to be married. And so Peleus invites all the kings of Greece to come to his wedding. And Thetis invites all the gods and goddesses to come. But you wouldn't want the goddess of discord at a wedding. And so she doesn't invite her. Um, and so she leaves her out. However, this infuriates her, the goddess of discord, and so she says, I'll fix them. And so she takes a golden apple and rolls it into the middle of the wedding, and on the golden apple is for the fairest. And three goddesses, being the really mature individuals that they are, all thought it should be theirs. Remember who those goddesses were? Um, hmm. um, Hera. Hera. Uh, Athena. Aphrodite. And, and Aphrodite. And uh, remember, and so uh, Zeus can't judge this contest because 
Two of these ladies are his daughters, and one of them is his wife. He wouldn't have any peace in his house if he judged this contest. And so he says, okay, I know a guy got a good eye for women, and that's this guy Paris. He's a Trojan prince who has been put out of his kingdom and put up on a mountain to be a shepherd because when he was born, they dreamed that his mother was giving birth to a firebrand or to a torch that would set the whole of Troy on fire. And so they put him out. And uh, But right now he's a shepherd up on the hillside. And I told you last week, it would have been a funny thing. He's sitting up there watching his sheep and all of a sudden three naked goddesses appear in front of him. And he has to decide which one is the fairest. And remember, he picked um, he picked Venus because she kind of all of them bribed him, but she kind of flattered him and told him he could have the most beautiful woman in the world for his wife if he picked her. Now, the most beautiful woman in the world at that time was who? Helen of Troy. Yeah, Helen of Troy, who, by the way, is not in Troy. She's in Greece, and she's happily the, the little catch is. Yeah, it's all right to say I'm going to give you the most beautiful woman in the world as your wife. The trouble is she already was married. She was married to a king, a prince, if you want to call him that, Menelaus. And uh, she's married to him. And so if Paris is going to have the most beautiful woman in the world as his wife, he's going to have to steal her away. And so he goes to Greece and he sweet talks Helen and flatters her and acts kind of stupid over. And finally uh, convinces her to run away with him and so she leaves and goes to troy and because all the greeks had promised that if anything happened to helen they would come to menelaus's aid that's called the oath of tinderus tinderus is her father uh they all had to come and we talked last week about two people that didn't come Everybody gathered in Greece to go sail to Troy to fight against the Trojans, but two did not go. Do you remember who they were? Agamemnon? No, Agamemnon was, well, he went. No, Achilles and Ulysses. Uh, I remember yeah. that Ulysses didn't go because he had just gotten married and just had a kid, and he didn't want to go run after some woman that ran off with somebody else. He didn't want to go, and so he pretended to be crazy. Uh, by plowing the seashore and sowing salt. But um, somebody got the brilliant idea. Let's sit his son right in front of the plow and see if he runs him over. And of course, Ulysses didn't run him over. And so they said, you're not crazy. You can come with us. And he had to go. Remember, I told you that Achilles was disguised by his mother, who knew that if he went to Troy, he would die. His mother's that same goddess whose wedding caused all this and by now achilles is probably you know who knows 15 years old and so she's hidden him away she's disguised him as a girl and hidden him away in a palace full of girls and i told you last week at least one girl there knew who he really was because she got pregnant by him <laughs> and she had uh, a child by him who is going to be important at the end of the story uh, so don't forget about him. We'll come back to him a little bit later. But um, I told you about a, Ulysses coming up with a way to find out which girl was really Achilles. And this is a very sexist thing. We wouldn't think we would think this is stupid today. But he basically pretended to be a peddler and put a whole bunch of 
stuff out. Some of it was for girls and some of it was for guys. And all the girls went over and looked at all the stuff, the dresses and the necklaces and all that stuff. And the, and the Achilles, who didn't care anything about that, went over and started fooling around with the shields and the swords and the spears. And Ulysses said, you're not a girl. You got to come with us. And so that was that. Uh, now, I thought I'd just go over a little bit who is who in this war and what side people are on, because it gets confusing if you don't know anything about this and if you've never had it before. And so let's talk about who is who on what, on what side. First of all, the big king of the Greeks, the high king, the main king, the main man of the Greeks is a guy named Agamemnon. Agamemnon is Menelaus's brother, and he's the high king of all the Greeks. He's, he's the, you know, the Greek, Greece was, was a whole bunch of confederation of little tiny states, and they each had kings, but Agamemnon is the head king of all of them. He's kind of cold, and he's kind of proud, and not terribly likable, to tell you the truth, uh, really. But he's the head king of the Greeks. He's going to lead this expedition to Troy. Now, his brother is Menelaus, who's a pretty good guy, uh, and Menelaus uh, was Helen's husband. Uh, and so uh, it's kind of handy if your wife runs off to have, the, have your brother be the head man of the Greeks to get the army together and lead the army against the guy that took her away. So Gary, Menelaus, is 22, there. Thank you. Thank mm -hmm. you. Okay. Achilles. We talked about him a little bit. We just talked about how he got exposed as, uh, you know, how they found out who he really was. But there's a thing about Achilles you always should remember. He's a Greek. He's part God, part uh, mortal, and he's only vulnerable in one spot. Does anyone remember that? Mm -hmm. He's only yeah. vulnerable where? It's the heel. Yep, and that's why we talk about people today having an Achilles heel, meaning that's the part that you can be wounded. That's that's how you can be hurt. That's the part of you that's that's weak, you could say. Um, and so uh, that's Achilles. Achilles is is kind of he's very strong. He's a very good fighter. He's a very brave man and he's rather nice, but he's kind of dumb. You get the impression. Uh, not real bright. Uh, really, really emotional. Uh, kind of reacts with his you know, emotions and not with his brains. Uh, and you'll see a lot more of him. A very good fighter. Very good fighter. You want him on your side. All right. And those are the Greeks. Oh, no. One more Greek. One more Greek. Ulysses, also known as Odysseus. He's called by two different names. Sometimes he's called Ulysses. Sometimes he's called Odysseus. And what do we know about him? He is the cleverest of the Greeks. Very smart. Very sly. Whenever a, whenever a clever trick has to be thought of, he'll think of it. Um, it's, it, is him, it is he that's going to uh, come up with the Trojan horse with that strategy. Uh, so very bright. So Greeks, you got Agamemnon, the high king. You got Menelaus, his brother and the husband of Helen. You've got Achilles, very good fighter, but his heel can be wounded. And you've got Ulysses, who is very bright, very clever. All right. And then you've got one other person I should mention, and that's Helen. And Helen is a slippery character. 
Okay. You get the impression that if you knew Helen, you would either have wanted to strangle her or you would have wanted to kiss her one or the other. Uh, very beautiful, very seductive, very um, uh, dramatic, you could say, but not much. Uh, she's sort of an airhead in a way, uh, except she's she's very bright. I mean, she's very uh, you know much more note, much more in the know. Uh, for example, there's one part where uh, she knows that all the Greeks are in the Trojan horse and she imitates all their wives. And so she, you know, she knew them well enough to, to act them out. She was hoping to, you know, to kind of just fool them a little bit, just to have some fun with them. So she imitates all their wives. Although it's kind of clever, kind of funny. Um, anyway. So, but she is very slippery. She starts out being a Greek. Then she runs off with Menelaus. Uh, I mean, with, uh, I mean, with uh, Paris. And stays in Troy for 10 years. And at the end of the Trojan War, she goes back with her husband, goes back to Greece and lives happily ever after for the rest of her life and dies, presumably healthy, as an old lady in her bed. It somehow doesn't seem quite fair, but that's the way it works out. Menelaus swore up and down he was going to kill her at the end of the war, but she fascinated him and uh, basically said it really wasn't my fault. I was bewitched. I was, be, you know, the gods made me do it. And he, she convinced him and he, she was so captivating and, uh, you know, seductive that he took her back and they lived happily ever after, I guess you could say. Um, all right. Trojan side. That's the Greeks. Trojan side. Priam. Anybody know who he was? Priam. King, king of uh, Troy, or king of whatever. Troy, king of Troy. Very good. Uh, by the time this story takes place, he's an old man, but he's the king of Troy. Has fifty sons and fifty daughters, mostly by the same wife. We're told um, a very li a rather likable character, really. Uh, king of Troy. Okay, Hector. Now, this is a funny one. Um, Hector is the most likable character in the entire story. And whenever um, his name is mentioned in either the Aeneid or the Iliad or anything else, people start like almost shedding tears because he's very likable. He's very noble. Um, and yet he's going to die. And you know he's going to die. And, and he does die. And he deserves a better fate than that. There's a very tender scene in the Iliad where he and his wife meet uh, between battles, you might say, and she has their little son with her and he takes off his, he gets ready to embrace his son and it scares the little boy because he has his helmet on. And so he takes his helmet off and kisses his son and he says a prayer, may this boy be king someday of Troy. And of course, if you know the story, that prayer is not going to get answered. At the end of the war, they're going to take that kid and throw him off the top of the palace and kill him. But, you know, Hector, when you hear his name, get ready to shed tears. I mean, that's just that's the way it is. Um, and yet, interestingly enough, as nice and as good a character as he is, we get an English word from his name that doesn't mean that at all. If you Hector somebody, what do you do to him? Have you ever heard that expression? If you Hector someone. 
You harass them. Yeah, you, you, you yell at them. You, you yell at them. Um, and the reason that that word comes from his name is there's a scene in the Iliad where he yells at Paris for being a coward. And because of that, that's where we get the expression to Hector someone, even though this very, he's a, even though this is the most likable character in the whole story. Uh, more likable than the gods, more likable than anyone. Uh, all right. Aeneas. Aeneas doesn't take too much part in the Trojan War that we know of. We know that he fights a couple battles. He's almost killed at one point uh, by one of the Greek leaders, but then he's rescued by his mother. His mother is the goddess Venus. And so he is going to escape from the Trojan War. I mean, after it's over, he will escape. He will go to Italy. He will be the forerunner of the Romans. He won't found Rome, but he'll found a city from which he'll found a city from which another city will be founded from which Rome will be founded. And he's a very, another very likable character, uh, even though he's from Troy. Okay, then let's talk about the goddesses, gods and goddesses. What side are they going to be on? Because, you know, this is mythology. The gods and goddesses got to take sides, too. Um, they can't just be neutral. Zeus is going to try to be neutral. Zeus will try to be neutral as best he can. But he's got his wife henpecking him, and he's got his daughters trying to get him to change. And so it's pretty hard uh, for him to be neutral. And there's one scene in the Iliad where his wife tricks him into taking his eyes off the battle. And when he does that, she changes everything around. Uh, and so uh, he tries to be neutral, but he doesn't quite succeed. Hera, Zeus's wife, she's going to be for the Greeks because the Tro because Paris didn't pick her to be the most beautiful. Remember, Paris is a Trojan. Oh, I didn't mention him, did I? Paris is a Trojan. I didn't mention him. Yeah, he, I remember, he's the one to run off with Helen. And he's, he's kind of like, the Mick Jagger of mythology. You know, he, he thinks he's hot stuff. He thinks he's handsome. He thinks he's God's gift to women. Uh, and yet he doesn't have too much upstairs either. I mean, he's just kind of an airheaded type of guy. He's not brave. He's not a good fighter. All he is, is just uh, stuck on himself, you might say. And he's the one that runs off with with Helen. Uh, his other name, he sometimes is called Alexander. Sometimes he's called Paris, sometimes he's called Alexander. All right. God, now we said Hera is on the Greek side because she didn't get picked to be the most beautiful. Athena is going to also be on the Greek side because she didn't get picked to be the most beautiful. Aphrodite, though, will be on the Roman side, on the Trojan side because her son is Aeneas. Uh, Neptune will be on the Greek side because the Trojans once cheated him. Uh, he built the walls for Troy <laughs> and they promised to pay him and then they Welsh and didn't pay him. And so he hates the Trojans and he will be on the Greek side. Apollo will be on the Trojan side. I'm honestly not certain why, but he will. Now, they all gather then to get ready to go fight the war at in Greece at a place called Alice. We don't even know where Alice is, by the way, but presumably it's somewhere near where you would sail across the uh, Aegean and the Black Sea to get to Asia Minor, to get to Turkey. And so all the ships are there. They have all these ships that are uh, 
lined up there to sail over there and fight the Trojans. And by the way, that's where you get that famous line, Christopher Marlowe, who says, the face that launched a thousand ships and toppled sacred Ilium, meaning Helen. No. And so they got all these ships ready to sail. But guess what? The winds won't blow. Well, here's why. Right before they sailed, Agamemnon, remember he's the king, top king, he got a powerful hunger for some for some deer meat. He got a powerful hunger for some deer meat. I don't blame him. I like deer meat myself. So what did he do? He went out hunting and saw a deer, took his bow and arrow, let fly with one, killed that deer, and had him a good steak that night. Well, he had no way of knowing that that deer that he killed was sacred to Artemis or Diana, whatever you want to call it. And so uh, she got angry because he had killed her sacred deer. Now, there was nothing written on that deer that said, don't kill me, I'm Diana's deer. There was no way the guy could have known that he was killing a deer sacred to Diana. But anyway, he did. And so what did she do? She stopped the winds from blowing. And you can't sail very far if you don't have wind, in those days especially. It would be like somebody siphoning all the gas out of the gas tanks today or whatever. And so uh, they can't go and they're just sitting there. They can't sail to Troy and they don't know why. And so they ask a a guy named Calchas, K-A-L-C-H-A-S. He's the Greek priest or Greek seer. They say, what's the matter? What's why aren't the winds blowing? Well, he says, he finally, he says, Agamemnon killed a deer that's sacred to Diana and Diana will not let the winds blow unless Agamemnon brings his daughter here to Troy and sacrifices her to Diana. If he will do that, the winds will blow. Well, you know, Agamemnon's kind of in a mess here. He can't write back to his wife and say, dear, send our daughter here. I'm going to sacrifice her. He knows his wife wouldn't let that happen. So instead, he makes up a lie. He writes to his wife and says, get our daughter ready to come to Alice here where we all are. I'm going to marry her to Achilles. So his wife gets all excited and dresses their daughter up and sends her out there to Alice. And Agamemnon, when she gets there, Agamemnon says, dear, I'm sorry, it's a mistake. You're not getting married. You're getting buried. Uh, we're going to sacrifice you. And so they take this young girl, they put her little head on the chopping block and chop her head off. The winds blow, the Greeks sail to Troy. However, Agamemnon's wife, whose name is Clytemnestra, will not forget this. She will not forget that her husband tricked her into sending their daughter there and so while he's gone she will take a lover and when he gets back she and her lover will axe him to death in the bath and so that's what will happen to him and perhaps he deserved it it's interesting though that later there are two versions of this story one version says they really sacrificed this girl this young girl got sacrificed for no reason just to make the winds blow. Another version says that at the last minute, Diana substituted a lamb and whisked the girl off to a place called Taurus. 
and many years later, her brother will meet her and take her back to Greece after the Trojan War is over. However, whichever version you believe, the Greeks thought they had sacrificed her. They thought that she had been killed. They had no idea that she was still alive, if she indeed was. And this other version probably was invented because even in those days, they thought that's pretty hideous to sacrifice a girl just so winds will blow. But it's a little, it's kind of interesting because Diana is is a goddess of hunting and young girls and all. And yet she insisted on this girl being sacrificed to her. So it's a, it's a weird, it's a weird story. And I suppose it shows that there's a, just a little memory of when human sacrifice was, uh, was practiced. Way, there you, way have, you have three minutes and a hand okay. raised. You have and a hand raised. Can yes. you see? Yeah. Um, I can look it up, but does that daughter have a, a famous name or anything? Yes. her um, name. I'm sorry. Yes. Her name is Iphigenia. Oh, that's right. Iphigenia. Iphigenia. I-P-H-I-G-E-N-I-A. Yeah, because there's a, play, a famous play, isn't there? Iphigenia. Yes, there is. Iphigenia among the Taurians. Okay. That's when her brother goes and rescues her long after the Trojan War is over. Okay. Iphigenia among the Taurians. That's one play, anyway. Uh, I don't think there's another play, but I don't think there's a play about her sacrifice. I don't think there is. Um, we're going to get done. I'll tell you what, this week I'd like you to work on your story. And I've sent the notes out. You probably got them late yesterday. If anyone doesn't get them, let me know. And if you want anything from me and you're not getting stuff from me already, contact Cindy and she will do it. Thank you very much, uh, Sheila. Appreciate your help. And I'll talk to you guys next week and write to me if you have any questions.